Chapter 16. The Lost Fox. Even with its bow crushed and partially buried, its tail lifted off the ground and its partially deflated balloon draped over the starboard side, Rass would have recognized the ship of his childhood anywhere. He collapsed to his knees, holding back rage and sadness, but his will to fight the two-fronted battle eroded. The brass fox came to a stop and Callie stepped off the gangplank, hitting the ground running. When she approached Rass, he had already made it back to his feet and was manically talking to himself. No, he came back from worse. Disabled engines wouldn't have stopped him, he said methodically, walking toward the back of his father's ship. Who are you talking about? Callie asked, running after him. Rass stopped in his tracks and turned back to Callie with tears in his eyes. He made it all this way and they knocked him out of the sky. He shoved a shaking, accusatory finger toward Solaria. What? Rass turned again and walked around the aft of the ship to the other side. Maybe he left me something, a, a message, a note, anything that might tell me where he was going. Uh, the sight of a crumpled and black figure in the distance halted him. Callie almost ran into Rass when she rounded the corner. Rass, I... She lost the words when she spotted the body. Rass stood, paralyzed with fear. It was dark enough to allow him to doubt what he knew deep down to be true. He was staring at the corpse of his father. I don't know what to do, he whispered. You don't have to do anything, Callie said, placing a hand gently on his shoulder. No, I can't walk away from this, he said. Each step closer offered more information as he recognized the bits of jacket that weren't charred. The body looked to have Elias's frame even though it lay in fetal position. Rass's heart plummeted when he saw the leather boots. He remembered the day his father had brought them home, retiring the off-repaired hand-me-downs from Grandpa Veer, which Rass currently wore. Carefully kneeling beside the body with fear and reverence felt like the right thing to do. After ten years out in the elements, the body was badly burned and withered. Rass slowly peeled off his jacket and placed it over the charred head and torso, allowing himself to imagine the face of his father without having to look at the blackened and grotesque visage staring at the clouds above. The visage, he was certain, would turn dream into nightmare for the rest of his life. Rast let out a scream he didn't know he had in him. No. No, this is not how you die. The tension released from his chest then tightened again with another heaving intake of air. I was supposed to find you, and you were supposed to save Verdant, not me. He didn't care that Callie stood behind him. I can't do this. Not like you could have. If you only made it this far, then how am I supposed to stand a chance? Callie kneeled down next to Rast. He wasn't supposed to die, Rass said. I know. He was so strong and smart, he always knew what to do. I know. And I have no clue what I'm doing here or where I'm going. That's not true. Yes, it is. Rass turned to look into Callie's beautiful, calming eyes. He took a breath to catch himself, then spoke softly. If he couldn't save Verdon, then what hope does his failure of a son have? Callie looked at him sympathetically, remaining silent. I just... I wanted him back so badly for so long. I knew, he said, wiping his eyes with his sleeve. I knew that he would come through like he always did. Rass stared at the ground, then back up to the silver fox. What do you do when the man you looked up to for all your life is gone? What do you do when your hero dies? Callie wrapped her arms around him, holding him tight. He knew I didn't have what it takes to be a wind merchant. Rass looked over the body. He just wouldn't tell me until it was too late. A mechanic couldn't destroy a convergence. Verdant doesn't need a wind merchant, Rass. It needs you, Callie said. How many times would a knack have died where you've gone? You haven't let me down, all right? I still believe in you. I just need you to believe in yourself, too. You've made it all the way this far without your father, and I'm sure he'd be proud of his boy right now. She moved to hold him at arm's length, not speaking until he met her gaze. You are a good man, Erasmus Fear. Don't you forget it. Tears glistened in her blue eyes. Take however long you need. Rass looked at the wise girl from next door for a moment. Thank you. Anytime.
She hugged him for a good while, then gracefully stood and walked back to the brass fox. Once alone, Rass found a seat on the ground next to his late father. He sat silently for a few minutes, unsure of what to do, then finally spoke. So, Mom's doing all right? The words hung in the air. He knew what he must have sounded like talking to what remained of his father, but he needed to speak his piece. It was tough for a while, but she's better now. Nobody knew. She wouldn't even look at someone else. Every day she just expected you to come back, you know? He took a deep breath. I wish I could actually talk to you about life, ships, girls. Well, one girl, but you probably knew that, he said in a lower volume. You know how they say it's like time stops when you meet the right person? I think they got it mostly right. Being a lack has its upsides, I'm learning. When you're with the right person, you don't feel the void so much. I guess it makes more sense why mom wanted you near. I probably reminded her of the void only you could fill, he sighed. I wonder if you'd have made it further if mom had gone with you. Rass sat for several minutes, taking in the sounds of the night. He eventually stood and brushed off the dirt from his pants. I know you did what you could. The concept of burying a body was foreign to Rass. When people passed away on Verdant, they were set adrift among the clouds to find their ways through the fog to the abandoned ground. But now seeing what had become of his father, the only thing Rass could think of to get any closure was to bury the body. Everyone lands somewhere, and underneath the shade of the silver fox seems as appropriate as anywhere, he thought. He wiped away the freshly emerging set of tears, remembering waving to the ship years ago as it set off from Verdant. His mother would take shallow breaths to keep from crying for his sake. The imagery was too painful to dwell on. His father needed burying. Rask climbed aboard the silver fox where the nose met the ground, searching for the best tool he could find for digging up dirt. Rust and moss covered much of the dead airship. A large portion of the deck had been eaten away, most likely by fire, judging from the state of his father. The glow of the moonlit fog illuminated the gaping hole in the deck, showing the hold. The collection tank his father prided himself on lay shattered, its sharp edges glistening. Tiptoeing along the railing, he made his way to the captain's quarters door. Its hinges creaked in protest as Rash pushed it open. The small sea of empty bottles collected at the front of the room clinked out of tune. Dad didn't drink, Rass thought as he stepped inside. At least not this much, or in front of me. He moved past the last of the bottles, turning and making his way to the upright wardrobe. Opening his doors, Rass coughed at the musty smell. Most of Elias's clothes remained, reminding Rass of the long summer days where he would raid the wardrobe to pretend he was his father. He selected a long, dark blue coat that Elias had worn as a younger man in Verdon's ragtag defense fleet. The coat was thicker than a wind merchant needed in energy-warm skies, but Elias considered it good luck and wouldn't part with it despite Emma's prodding. Rass had always thought his father looked like a hero from Callie's books when he wore it. Elias would let the coat envelop little Rass during their flying lessons. He slid his arm into the sleeve, almost pleased that the coat could once again humor the boy pretending to be the hero. Shouts in the distance snapped Rass from the memory. He slid back down to the bottles and through the door. He could see an argument breaking out on the bridge of the brass fox between Dixie and Four. He couldn't make out the words, but the harsh tones filled in the gaps. Hey, Rass shouted, garnering their attention. What's going on? Dixie began to yell back. They're trying, until Four struck her in the head. She crumpled. Rass's eyes went wide and he dashed from the bridge down to the sloped deck. Upon reaching the ground at the bow of the silver fox, he saw Thirty exiting the bay door of the brass fox, clutching Rass's large wrench from Derelier. Thanks for flying her to the boneyard for us. Makes the process so much easier, the white-haired man said. Rass spotted Callie's frightened face through the captain's quarters porthole, and Ford delivered a kick to the downed Dixie. Callie yelled Rass's name as she pounded on the window. Rass's father laid unburied after the process these men hoped to repeat with him. Callie was trapped. Dixie was knocked out. His ship was soon scrapped, and he was unarmed. Something broke in Rass, and he had only one thing going for him. He was properly motivated.
Rast let out a war cry and charged towards Thirty, who held the large wrench at the ready. Rast didn't fear the wrench. He knew its pain, and he was too filled with rage to let the idea of a broken armor rib deter him. The smug look dissolved from Thirty's face as the desperate wind merchant tore toward him. He panicked and swung the wrench too early. Rast ducked, sidestepping as Thirty's balance went off kilter from the momentum of the tool. He landed a punch to Thirty's ribs, turned on his heel, and slammed his left elbow squarely into the man's throat, whose gurgle indicated a failed attempt at a cry of pain. Thirty swung the wrench again, catching Rast in the stomach. The pain only fueled Rast's fury as he wrapped both arms over the wrench, holding it to his body and slammed his head upward, squarely striking Thirty's nose, disorienting the minion enough to rip away the makeshift weapon. Rast delivered a kick to the knee of Thirty, interrupting the minion's grab for the knife in the man's boot. He tightened his grip on the large wrench and swung with both arms, connecting with Thirty's temple and laying the man out flat. Number four looked over to see both his partner incapacitated and a fire-eyed Rast turning towards him. Four drew his musket and lined up a shot at the young man moving up the gangplank, but stayed his hand as Rast clearly indicated to present himself with the closer target. Rast arrived on the deck with the wrench in his hand and malice in his heart. Four leaned casually on the railing, steadying his arm. Funny how every single ship out here is picked clean. We had a deal, Rast said, seething. What, the one where we tell the collective we have you and they come running? You do realize we don't actually have to have you for that to work, don't you? Said Four. He motioned with the pistol for Rass to drop the wrench over the side of the brass fox. Rass held up his arm over the railing, but retained a firm grasp. You see that ship over there? He said, pointing with a wrench. Yeah, it was one of the first. That's my father's ship, said Rass. A bit of motion beyond Four caught his attention. Family reunion. How sweet, Four said. Toss it. Rast took a deep breath and threw the wrench high over his head. A familiar bang and hiss of uncoiling cable filled the air as a magnetic grapple toward the musket from Force hand and continued onward to strike the airborne tool. The wrench-musket hybrid fell straight back into Rast's outstretched hand. Four looked back at him. Callie leaned out of the captain's quarters porthole with a grapple gun engulfing her left arm. The cable connected her directly to Rass, who busied himself with prying the musket from the magnet with little success. Giving up and freeing the musket, Rass aimed the wrench-musket hybrid at Four. You are leaving my ship or this world. The grizzled man raised his hands slowly, palms open. The moonlit sky grew dark as a labored screech filled the boneyard, distracting everyone on board the brass fox. In the dense fog, a hulking black figure escaped the moon, arriving from the direction of Solaria and rapidly increasing in size. It appeared Dr. O would indeed snag his dreadnought. Four used his opportunity to seize the taut cable next to him, jerking Rass off balance. All squabbles about who possessed the gun on the ship became moot when it became apparent that the dreadnought was on a collision course to crush the brass fox and every other airship surrounding it. Rast tossed the musket-slash-wrench overboard through the rope netting and made taking off his highest priority. Callie, cut the cable! Rast shouted as he began ascending the stairs toward the bridge. How? she asked, looking the device over. After failing to reel in the musket, Four began running toward Rast, throwing an easily dodged punch. Using Four's momentum against him, Rast hooked Four's leg with his own, causing the minion to tumble down the stairs of the deck as Rast arrived on the bridge and worked the controls of the console to start up his one engine. The groan of the behemoth grew deafening as the brass fox began its ascent. Behind them, a concussive shockwave caught up with the ship as the tail of the dreadnought's body collided with the ground, and the brass fox's single engine revved as hard as it could with little effect. Four finally worked free the musket-slash-wrench and the engine at Rast. Do you honestly think shooting the pilot is a great idea right now? Rass looked up to gauge how many moments remained before the front half of the dreadnought crushed them. Too few. He spun the wheel hard to port as the brass fox limped off perpendicular to the collapsing warship. Come on. Rass yelled at the console, smacking it. The ship lurched forward, spurred on as the dreadnought's front came crashing down, crushing half of the boneyard under its mass and narrowly missing the brass fox. The impact shot out smoke and debris in a gust that sent the brass fox swinging violently side to side underneath its balloon. 
A scream from Callie in the absence of four alerted Rast to a severe problem. He set the ship's controls to continually gain altitude and dashed down the steps to enter the captain's quarters, but ran into a locked and jammed door. He threw his shoulder into it repeatedly until it finally gave. Inside, he found Callie half hanging out of the porthole. How do I detach this? She screamed. Rast ran up and hugged her around the waist, catching a glimpse of four dangling below the wrench on the other end of the cable. He braced a leg against the wall and pulled her in fully back into the room. Middle button. Reel him in. Callie pressed the button to start spooling in the cable, and Rass grabbed it and began to pull hand over fist. Help me pull, Rass said with a grunt. Callie heaved back on the cable with Rass until Fora's arm swung into the frame of the porthole. Rass grabbed the arm and stuck his head outside to see the ground disappearing beneath them into fog. He reached down and pulled something tucked inside Fora's belt. What are you doing? Fora demanded. Rass examined Fora's engine disabler, ignoring the question. He turned to Callie, grabbed her wrist, and then worked a mechanism to cut the cable. That is how you release the cable. He looked coldly at four, and this is how you release the man that killed her father. Before Rask could act, the ship shook violently, causing four to lose his grip on the porthole, and he disappeared with a scream in a whipping trail of cable. Rask and Callie ran back to the deck and surveyed the night sky. They cleared the cloud level to find a half-dozen collective ships in hot pursuit. We're so close. Close to what? Callie pointed to a set of cliff faces off in the distance. The wild. Another cannon salvo rocketed past the ship from behind. The explosion in front of them gave the full picture as three silver ships without balloons or biplane wings flew toward them. Their shiny metal hulls gleamed in the night's light as they returned fire with a series of rat-tat-tat blasts. Dozens of small cannonballs whizzed past the brass fox, and many collided with the pursuing collective vessels, sinking one of them. You don't think, Rass said. Elders, Callie said. The collective ships overtook the brass fox, engaging in a clumsy dance with the nimble silver fighters. The smaller ships darted about with a pinpoint proficiency, firing their small repeater cannons at the medium-sized collective ships. Thankfully, they didn't appear to have taken much note of the wind merchant vessel as a target yet. Rass pushed down on the wheel, dropping altitude until they once again fell beneath the cloud level and out of the battle. A loud series of booms erupted behind them. The collective dreadnought lost her engines, but she still had her teeth in her mission. Spinning the wheel starboard, Rass drove the ship into what evasive maneuvers she could muster. We're going to have to go back up, Rass said, hefting back on the wheel. It's worse up there, Callie said. I've only got one engine down here. Up there I can at least kick on the Helios engine. Dixie began to stir and Callie moved over to check on her. Callie, I really don't know where I'm going without you right now, Rass said. There's not much we can do for her. The brass fox once again lifted above the clouds and into the clear sky, rejoining the fray. Several blind shots from the down dreadnought ripped through the clouds far to port. Rass focused his attention on the newest part of the dashboard. He flipped three switches to prime the Helios engine and pulled back the knob to start it. A whining noise hummed a life below the deck for a moment and then died. Another two collective ships, larger than their mini cannonball-riddled predecessors, joined the battle. Rass? Callie pointed to the eldership, diverting its attention from its battle with the collective to the brass fox. Rass whipped his head over seeing the vessel while he furiously flipped the three priming switches once more. Again, the Helios engine purred and died. Why? Rass shouted, slamming the dash. The elder's mini-cannon roared to life behind them as Rass began evasive maneuvers. Several shots ripped through the hull behind them, forcing him to dive as chunks of wood and splinters flew through the air. Rass helped Callie stand and once again hefted on the wheel. Work, he ordered, cycling the truant engine once more. The whole ship hummed, vibrated, and then roared ahead with a new vitality. Good girl, Rass laughed. He pulled the wheel to port to avoid the next salvo from the elder fighter and assessed the battle. The two larger collective frigates brought their full arsenal to bear, firing in 
connecting their deadly green beams with an elder fighter. The vessel was incinerated, sending the rest of the squadron into evasive maneuvers. A well-aimed shot from the other frigate clipped the elder fighter trailing the brass fox, sending the remaining half of the small ship plummeting. Rass surveyed the area, trying to regain his bearings. He felt a hand on his shoulder and saw Callie pointing to a specific point along the cliff wall. Rass nodded and jammed the throttle full ahead, leaving the heat of the battle, but not unnoticed. Two of the collective ships comparable in size to the brass fox broke off as the frigates concentrated on the last elder fighter. Hal said the path was a maze. If we can lose them, they won't know where to go, said Callie. Ahead the cliffs loomed and Rass saw dozens of canyon entrances of various sizes. Which one? Callie stepped away from him, moving with a graceful, ethereal quality. Her blue eyes took on a slightly purple hue as she surveyed the different entrances. She pointed slightly starboard as she continued down the steps to the deck, walking toward the bow of the ship. Rass corrected his course until her arm pointed directly in front of her. The brass fox entered the canyon Callie had selected, and moments later the collective ships followed in its wake. Framers Valley came to mind, but Rass shunted the lingering memory as far away as possible. The walls of the canyon started out wide enough for one of the collective ships to pull alongside Rass's starboard. It slammed against the brass fox, almost crashing it into the opposite wall. Rass! Callie shouted. Up ahead, the canyon split and Callie pointed to port. Rass pushed against the collective ship as they approached the fork in the path. Wood creaked and splintered as the vessels collided again. The positioning plan worked, as the brass fox and the collective ship separated to avoid smashing into the stone fork. One ship was off course, but the other collective ship, which had hung behind, still followed the brass fox as the path curved and twisted. Rass shoved the wheel forward to dip below a rock bridge connecting the canyon walls. The collective ship careened into it, but even this did little to deter it aside from creating a more generous gap between the vessels. Callie pointed to starboard as another fork approached, then port. Port. Starboard. Port. Port. The intricacy of the canyon's splintering architecture path amazed Rass. He looked behind himself for a moment to see if his pursuers had lost their way. They hadn't. Port! Callie shouted, bringing Rass's attention again to piloting just in time for him to see the rapidly approaching fork. The curve ended with a straightaway that led to the end of the canyon. Dive! She pointed to a cave entrance along the floor of the canyon. But we're... Dive! Now! She shouted. Rass shoved the wheel, descending sharply into the maw of the cave. The collective ship continued straight, and Rass heard a horrific crunch and series of explosions echo through the cave as pieces of a crumpled collective ship rained down behind them. Blind, Rass throttled back to a stop. What was that? Painted wall. Time is streaming out from this cave, Callie said as she approached the bridge. Rass grabbed the knack visions to see if they would provide any clarity. The energy level in the cave was nearly non-existent. He swapped them out for the green minion goggles and the vast expanse of the cave nearly took his breath away. Callie, come look. He then thought better of it as he propped the wheel and began walking over to her to prevent her from stumbling around the deck. She walked slowly, gracefully. I can see, Rass. Time is thick here. She spoke at a slower rate that caught Rass off guard. Like, knack vision? Yeah purple neck vision, but with headaches, she said. Rass moved quickly to her. Better? Yeah, my head isn't throbbing now, but I can't see anything, she said with her usual cadence. She squinted and held up a hand to keep the green glow of Rass's goggles from bothering her. A worthwhile trade-off. Rass led her by the hand back up to the bridge. A funny noise came from the one working Windstrider engine. What is that? Callie asked. Energy is so thin down here, it must not have enough to scoop. I guess the wild has been blocked off for so long not much energy can make it in, Callie said. Callie? Yeah? You let us into the wild. You flew us into the wild, she said, embracing him. I knew you could do it. Oh, you two are so cute it's enough to make a girl barf, Dixie said, sitting up. You all right? Rass asked. All that flying made it hard to sleep. What happened to what's-his-number? She asked. Not on board, and that's all that matters. Rass took a moment to study an almost endless flat cavern, then removed the green goggles and handed them to Callie. Make sure she's all right, okay? Callie donned them and made her way over to Dixie. I'll let you know if anything comes up, like a cave wall or giant monster. 
That's a fun thought, Ras said. Callie knelt down by Dixie, who stuffed something small into her pocket. You okay? Is there anything I can get you? Dixie held her head, touching the sticky matted hair by her temple. There is something in my bag down in the hold that I could use. Sure, what is it? If you could just bring the whole bag, I'll find it, Dixie said. Ras watched Callie's bobbing green goggles disappear into the hold. He pulled on the knack visions to have some semblance of sight. So, looks like you made it to the wild after all, said Ras. I bet all your friends will be jealous. Yeah, why are you talking so fast? Dixie asked, her speech slurred. I'm not. You're talking slow. That's the first time anyone's accused me of that, she drawled. Must be the time in here, Ras said. Doesn't affect me. Lucky, she said. Hey, I'm sorry about what happened back there. The thrill of the escape had all but erased the time in the boneyard from his mind, and he felt ashamed for letting something that important lapse. You shouldn't feel responsible for fake family members, right? I guess, Dixie said with a shrug. She tried to stand but failed. I just can't believe how close my dad got. I mean, the cliffs couldn't have been more than ten miles from the boneyard. I have no idea how he would have made it through the maze, though. Maybe he had a map or something. He looked over at Dixie, who stared blankly into the darkness, evidently finished with the conversation. Callie climbed back up from the hold with a bag and returned to the bridge, depositing the duffel next to Dixie. She removed the goggles and handed them to Rast, then wrapped her arms around his left arm and leaned against him. Headache. He extracted his arm from between hers and placed it around her shoulders. Her head nestled against his chest and he feared for a moment she would notice how his heart was pounding. The smallest hint of morning light peeked through the mouth of the cave, spilling in to fill the cavern. Rast noted they weren't moving nearly as fast as his instruments indicated, and he tapped them a couple times in an attempt to jar the needles into the correct positions. They stayed. Why are we moving so slow? he asked himself. Hold on, Callie said as she took a step away from Rast, noting her surroundings, then laughed. What? The ship sped up, she said with a slowed voice. No, wait. I slowed down. She lifted her eyebrows and turned to Rass. That part I get. Kelly returned to him. And now we're back to crawling. You must have some sort of equilibrium around you. She hugged him tight once more. It's just more noticeable now that the time is thick. Oh. Well, if you want to take a step away so the trip doesn't take as long, I won't be offended, Rass said. I'm good. She pointed to his watch, then the clock on the dash. They were already a few minutes off from one another. Think of it as a superpower. One I can't tell I have. You'll be faster than everyone else in the wild, she said. I'd be perfectly content not to see that in action, Rass said. Something glinted along the floor of the cave near the entrance. As the sun crept higher, the glint became two illuminated lines. What is that? What is what? Callie asked. There. Rass pointed to the lines and Callie pulled over to the edge of the bridge to investigate. It looks like train tracks, she said casually, then paused. Her eyes widened. Rass, it looks like train tracks. Her eyes hungrily searched the floor of the cave far beneath them for more information. She looked over at Rass, then at the green goggles dangling around his neck. She nearly ripped the strap off as she pulled him up over his head. Hey, Rass said, rubbing a maligned ear. Without bothering to strap the goggles on, Callie placed the green circles over her eyes. Put the ship down! Put the ship down! She shouted, then whipped around, still mad-eyed with goggles. Hang on, what did you see? Rass asked. A white train, 